I need you to talk louder, though. Like, okay. Here you go. Hello. My microphone is never this close to me. It, all, it has been uh, this whole book. We've no, it always, hasn't. I don't put it right there. I put it right there. I always put it right there. Yeah. Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 14 of The Last Battle. This chapter is called Night Falls on Narnia. I want to know who Night is. This character hasn't been introduced before, but they must be really big. They fell over an entire country. Yep. Pretty large indeed. Are you Night? I am night, <laughs> falling upon Narnia. No, I am a gnome in bism, just getting a little chilly. Also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host. I'm a strange, unearthly thing. A strange, unearthly thing. Possibly from the Lone Islands or, you know, Ooh. the unexplored western wastes. Ooh. Cool. Also known as Chris. Sorry, we haven't done this in a while. I'm a little getting back into the swing of things. It's not like we've done like over 100 of these episodes or so. Yeah, no, it's not. Not at all. <laughs> Brand new podcast we're yep. trying out today. New uh, new concept altogether. Yep. Entirely. Yeah, that's why I wrote down a script for you. <laughs> I should check that more often. Yeah, you should. Also known as Chris. Yeah. All right. Hello, Chris. Welcome Hi. to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. It's not like I could really be anywhere else, but... I don't know. You you got two legs. I do live in the studio. You live here? Yep. Anyway. Oh, man. How are you, Kristen? I am well. Great. I am well. How was your breakfast? Delightful. Fantastic. Yeah. I had cake. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. I was there. I've thrown out the rest of it. Have you? I've only done that and I've only had cake two days in a row and that's going to be it. Only two days in a row? Uh-huh. So technically you had cake three days in a row, but you only had it for breakfast two days in a row. Except, you see, you don't give me this much snark if I have donuts for breakfast, which are basically exactly the same I thing. I do, because I hate donuts <laughs> for breakfast. I, this is why that doesn't happen very often in your life. It's a classic American tradition, okay? And you can do that. <laughs> and I will still sit there and go, nope, I'm not eating that. I'll be hungry again in an hour. Uh-huh. Earlier on in our relationship, Kristen would routinely have cold pizza for breakfast, and she judges me. I still will have cold pizza for breakfast. I like cold pizza for breakfast. It is a delight. Just like savory croissants with like cheese and meat in them. I'll eat them not heated up. I'll eat them heated up. It's just, it's the same. It is the same. Uh, anyway, this is not a, uh, a breakfast debate podcast. Well, it seems like it's become that. Let's throw these books out. All right. I bought a cheese Danish coffee cake. You haven't given me a hard time about me wanting to eat that for breakfast yet. No, I've just been waiting for it because it's got the word cake in it. And then I'm going to sit there and be like, pancake has cake in it too. Yeah, it does. And we're going to have all of it. All right. So uh, we're <laughs> discussing Night Falls on Narnia. This is chapter 14 of the book. Yeah. And how do we start this, Kristen? We do our summaries. Cool. Who would like to go first? I don't know. There's two of us. So express an opinion. Okay. <laughs> Um, I'll go ahead and go first, Kristen. Sure. Why not? Okay. 
All right, here is my summary. Just got to remind myself of what it was because I wrote this like a week ago. All right. Then Jill and Eustace remembered how once, long ago, in the deep cover beneath those moors, they had seen a great giant asleep and been told that his name was Father Time and that he would wake on the day the world ended. All the stars were falling, Aslan had called them home. Among the happy creatures who now came crowding round Tyrion and his friends were all those whom they had thought dead. All was now level water from where they stood to where the waters met the sky. But it was stranger than any of them to look round and find themselves in a warm daylight, the blue sky above them, flowers at their feet, and laughter in Aslan's eyes. Hmm. Well, we both have the same second sentence. Ooh, okay. But other than that, I don't think we have any other sentences mm-hmm. in common. So it was another hard one to summarize. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and read my summary. Go for it. While he lay dreaming, his name was Time. All the stars were falling. Aslan had called them home. And at last, out of the shadows of the trees, racing up the hill for dear life by thousands and by millions, came all kinds of creatures, talking beasts, dwarfs, satyrs, fawns, giants, calamines, men from Arkenland, monopods, and strange unearthly things from the remote islands or the unknown western lands. They all looked straight in his face. I don't think they had any choice about that. Further in and higher up, said Runewit, and thundered away. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, so this is an intense chapter. Yes. A lot of imagery here. Oh, yeah. Um, my immediate response is to try to call this apocalyptic literature, and I don't really think it is. It's like, this is like... Because going into it, I was like, oh, this is Lewis's take on uh, Revelation or something. But, like, by its nature, apocalyptic literature is um, veiled. It's veiled language meant to talk about things that are either, like, subversive or, like, really heady ideas that are tried to distill down into words or something like that. And it's not, like, a literal interpretation of events, which this is. Like, this is just a literal telling of what's going on in Narnia that they're witnessing here. This isn't like a vision or like, you know, an angel came down to me and gave me this scroll to eat kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, Aslan's destroying the world. Cool. Um, no, so. Aslan's calling time <laughs> to destroy the world. Yeah. Which is a deeply symbolic statement. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Narnia ends here. Yep. Night falls on Narnia. Narnia's over. Yeah. That's a... Uh, crazy yeah <laughs> i feel like go. we've we've spent a lot of time here we saw narnia created yeah uh and now we have and the lord digger even says the same thing he's like i was here when it was created i didn't think i would be here to see its end it was here for both he's uh it's been diggery since the beginning yeah so uh i don't know how much we'll really have to get into because i feel like there's just like most of this chapter is just them sitting here watching these events unfold. Yeah, I mean, um, very much so. Like, yeah. We can talk about the events that happen, but I'm not sure if there's a lot of deeper meaning behind this. But, uh, so, they are by side Aslan. They're looking through the doorway out into Narnia. Uh, and then they see this giant shape uh, mm-hmm. c- kind of rise up against the sky. 
And it is, hey, look, it's Father Time. Well, at the end of the last chapter, that's what Aslan was yelling out into Narnia through the door. And so with that said, it makes sense that it's Father Time who's now awakened. Yes. Um, In much the same way that, like, Bacchus just showed up out of nowhere in previous books. Yeah. And I think I mentioned this earlier um, about Father Time, where in contrast to other examples of, like, Bacchus and Father Christmas, uh, who seem to have some sort of other purpose uh, that they can conceivably be doing throughout the year, Father Time was just kind of there. Yep, he has just uh, been sleeping this he, whole time. I think I think all of Narnia is a dream of Father Time's, and once you wake him up, the whole place falls apart. <sighs> Completely subverts Aslan, Kristen. We can't do, <laughs> we can't do that. Um, I'm really annoyed by the fact that Aslan is just like, oh yeah, now that he's awoken, he's going to have another name, and we never learn what that other name is. Correct. He's Father Time, also known as... Doesn't really matter. I feel like that was trying to say something. Like, were, were we supposed to infer something there about who Father Time is? Well, who is, like, in in other legends uh, and other god structures, uh-huh. the gods of time have overlapping responsibilities. So when we talk about gods of time, they're often l- 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 lumped in together with gods of fate. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the two are kind of linked. Yeah. With Lewis's knowledge of mythologies and things like that, I feel like there might be something we can gain to look at some of like what the what some of the mythological gods that represent time also represented, because a lot of times they have to do with like harvest and seasons and things like that beyond just chronological time. And there might be something that we can gather from that about what it is that this god uh, or that father time what his new name might be uh-huh but part of me feels like it's just death like his new name is supposed to be like death or night or whatever like whatever's falling on narnia yeah like at the end because like the door to narnia is going to be locked there isn't going to be anything else happening there everything there is going to be frozen and cold and dead uh-huh and so like I really feel like they, the what that name for Father Time's new name would be is probably just something like death. Yeah. Uh, the consensus on the internet, based on my five minutes of Googling, uh, seems to be that people are just saying Lewis is implying that there's going to be no more time. Okay. And time as a concept stops existing here. Oh, I and, get that. That makes that, sense. <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. <clears throat> Which... Which I never really, never really got from like a, a physics standpoint and like the the theology where it's talking about in heaven, time doesn't have any meaning. Any, well, time doesn't exist anymore, which I feel like doesn't really work because like time has to exist in some format for action to happen in order for there to be a before and after. Time still has to exist. So you want to get into the metaphysics <laughs> of yes. eternity? Yeah, that's, let's get into that. That's yeah, the, let's that's work the, on that right that's, now. That's the scope of this podcast. Anyway. <laughs> 100%. Well within the scope of this podcast. Uh, so Father Time gets up and digs himself out of uh, the Undermountain Kingdom that we fall, saw first saw him in up in the High Morse. Yes. Uh, he does a lot of cool stuff, but he raises a horn to his mouth, blows it, like there's just some 
crazy loud sound, obviously. Which I think is an interesting reflection of the bringing, uh, the beginning of Narnia, where Aslan sang Narnia into existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also revelation imagery of like there's horns and like signaling the end and like seven horns blow seven times or some kind of thing like that. It's been a while since I read the book, but <clears throat> yeah, uh, very obvious imagery there. Uh, then the sky starts falling. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> no, the stars start coming back because Aslan has called them home. Uh-huh. Get it right. <laughs> So we see all the stars falling out of the sky, like it comes down like silver rain, uh, and as they come down, like, they see the sky literally start emptying mm-hmm. as all the stars come back. We don't get names for any of these, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, cry, consult buddies. Yeah. They're, uh, they're coming back. Will they get fed by magic birds and become young again? Who knows? But... Who knows? So the sky comes down to earth. Uh, Do-do-do... Trying to make sure I don't miss anything. We have the imagery of the moon turning to blood, uh, all that, the sun and the moon coming together. Uh, we see the stars who appear as like in humanoid form with like long, long hair, like burning silver. And they have spears like white hot metal. Yeah. And so the stars come down and they are armed, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Well, it's that's like for- what I thought. I think it's really interesting the way that like when Tyrion first shows up in Aslan's country here, which is what I'm just going to call it for now, uh-huh. it, and everybody else is armed. Yeah. And, like, Peter has his sword out to, like, chase off Tash and things yeah. like that. Like, they're armed. They're yeah. all armed. Yeah. Um. So I find that interesting, definitely. But I think, did we skip over the fact that all of the creatures came to the door and had to look Aslan in the face? Did that happen before no. or after the stars after. came down? Okay. Uh, like first thing, giant comes out of the uh, out of nowhere. Uh, giant shows up. Father Time blows the horn. Uh, all the stars start falling. Uh, they show up. They start casting light across the now completely dark Narnia. Uh, and they, you know, not in the sky anymore. They're casting light across the ground and creating all these like huge shadows and whatnot. Yes. Um. And then uh, they time timey-wimeyness. Yeah. Uh, they light up the northern moors, uh, then they see all the weird animals come out of the ground that were all sleeping around Father Time. Yeah. Uh, and they wake up and come out and they start eating the world. Is that what it is? What? Is that what that is? What? Like all the creatures that are eating the world, is that is that creatures that were sleeping with Father Time? Yeah, because in... Um... Oh my goodness, I missed that. Because I was like, I, mo- I made a note, that's why I introduced myself as a character from Bism, because I was like... Yeah, they call Father Time up out of the Underdark, but, like, also don't explain whether or not anyone from Bism with its glowing gems comes up or not. Something like that. And so with that, I was like, we have Arkenland, Calermine, the Western Lands, like, the Lone Islands. We have all the way out to, but, like, we don't talk about, we don't talk about Bism. No, no. And so, like, I want to know... What's going on there? Um, which is not, which is still not addressed in the chapter. But, like, it is interesting because I was trying to figure out where those creatures were coming from. Whether they were just coming down from the north or if they were coming up from 
the sleep with Father Time is not mm. something I had considered. Yeah, we we even have artwork of those in the silver chair, all the weird animals kind of laying around, and yeah. they're they're waiting for the end of the world. I think Puddleglum says that or something. Well, he, he says Father things. Time is. He doesn't say anything about the other creatures there. I found the passage. Uh, here they pass dozens of strange animals lying on the turf, either dead or asleep. Jill could not tell which. These are mostly of a dragonish or bat-like sort. Puddleglum did not know what any of them were. Do they grow here? Scrub asked the warden. He seemed very surprised at being spoken to, but replied, No. They are all beasts that have found their way down by chasms and caves out of overland into the deep realm. Many come down and few return to the sunlit lands. It is said that they will all wake at the end of the world. Okay. I thought it was just about Father Time that that was said, but thank you. There we go. So, these are the creatures that are sleeping down in the Underdark that have found their way there for whatever reason. Yep. Uh, coming out, and they start eating Narnia, because yeah. Narnia's real tasty. Uh, it's a nice little snack. midnight snack. Uh, so, and then they, they kind of are standing at the door just watching this happen, and as they're doing it, there's millions of creatures running from them and running from the destruction. Mm-hmm. All sorts of talking beasts and dwarves and satyrs, fawns, etc., etc., etc. Apparently more monopods. Yep. Who knew where where, where those are coming from? Yeah, that's the other thing is, like, all of this, and it mentions that it's, like, weird time happening here, which is interesting because it's right after Father Time wakes up that time gets weird. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. Um, Is time just a facet of time sleeping? Um, But we have creatures coming from distant lands, from Calermine, from Arkenland, from the islands, and they just show up here running from the destruction. Yeah. Uh, and they all show up and they start lining up at the door. Yep. Um, and this part seems very dreamlike, and they specifically say nobody could tell how long it took. Sometimes it felt like minutes, or sometimes it felt like years. Yeah. Where they're watching this weird kind of timey-wimey, uh, as you said, uh, <sighs> I'm trying to think of. Um, no, it's not a montage. It's like a... I mean, it's a little like, bit like a montage of people walking up to yeah. looking Aslan in the face. But yeah. it is definitely like a content, condensed series of of people just... The time, time is lapse. happening. Time, time lapse. lapse. Uh, maybe. Is what I was trying to say. Uh, like a time lapse video. And they all come out of the door and one by one, they're going through the door. They look Aslan straight in the face. Like, this is the day of judgment. Like, very clear imagery there. Uh, and I wanted to point out, uh, there are some beasts that look him in the face and they look, uh, briefly very terrified. And then they don't anymore because, like, they no longer are talking beasts. Yeah. Well, and, and it also immediately says something to... about anger and fear. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they immediately become not talking beasts anymore. Yeah. And any creature this happens to kind of goes to the left and disappears into Aslan's shadow and is just gone. Yeah. We don't know what happens there. Yeah. Um, and they just kind of disappear and are never talking about it again. Uh, and I think we can infer from this that, I guess, whatever state the dwarves are in in the previous chapter, where we talk about them being, like, in this illusory world that they, you know, can't seem to get out of, that, you know, this isn't really a hell analogy. Because it seems like that's what this is. Where, like, they're going to Aslan Shadow, like, that's... The yeah. other place. I It does seem odd because the way that the dwarves are handled here, where they don't want to be taken in by Aslan, uh-huh. that they're left in this kind of 
prison. Yeah. But the animals aren't. Yeah, they get like, swallowed up. And, and it very specifically only mentions the talking beast. It doesn't mention specifically, like, what happens to the satyrs who don't want to, to come with Aslan. Yeah. And things like that. What happened to the monopods who don't want to. Yeah. Like, it is it is the dwarves who don't want to who are locked in, like, a prison. And then it's only it only discusses what happens to the talking beast becoming non-talking beasts anymore. And, yeah. like... What does that mean? Because we've talked throughout the books. There's been lots of symbolism throughout the books of animals becoming not talking beasts anymore. Yeah. And when they do, it is like a, a removal from community. Yes. That like can can cause them to go wild and lose their talking character. So they're being isolated. But are they being isolated? Because like that's... Or are they like losing their sentience basically? Like... Are they ceasing to exist as soulful characters? Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty harsh fate either way. Yeah. Like, I mean. Because, like you said, this is much more like the hell perspective of going into Aslan's shadow and being removed from community and things like that than whatever's going on with the dwarfs. And at the end of this chapter, we still talk about the dwarfs being over there in their little prison. Yeah, they're just hanging out. Yeah. So... Well, they get, like, a special treatment. Who knows? Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty intense. I mean, there's a lot of people that would say that's a fate's worth, a face, a fate worse than death is, you know, not just dying, but just, you know, continuing to exist, but losing your sense of self. Yeah. That's pretty rough. Um, anyway, then the resurrection happens. Yeah. They encounter everybody that they thought was dead, who they lost track of, or ruined with the centaur, and Jewel the Unicorn, Farsight, uh, dogs and horses that don't get named, uh, Poggin shows up. Yep. But everybody who apparently is killed, so this is not just the people that are still living on Narnia, this is everybody from all of time. Yep. Coming up to the door. Very, uh, you know, very note-for-note resurrection and revelation imagery. Uh... Apparently the bear is still stupid. Uh, he comes up and he gets let in though, and he's just like, "Yay, fruit! I don't really care about anything else." I like there's fruit don't trees. Understand? He, yeah, he still <laughs> went to say, "I don't understand." Yeah. Uh, and that's when he saw the fruit and interrupted himself to go get fruit because that's something he does understand. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so there's this great reunion. There's joy and and et cetera, et cetera. Um. And now the dragons and giant lizards just tear up the trees. They tear up the rocks. Like, they completely lay waste to the entire yeah, entirety of Narnia. Yeah, the trees? Yeah, I guess that nobody cares about the birch girls and the beach girls. They, uh, the, the woodland spirits and the dryads. No, yeah, but they don't come through the gate. Uh, I have so many feelings. <laughs> Though I do also those. acknowledge that you can't include a list of every creature from Narnia because... There's lots of different creatures been established in the lore of Narnia thus far. Yeah. So I also, uh, like, are we going to assume that everything that's not listed actually did come through and that the trees are no longer the the talking trees Uh, that are being tore up by these dragons? Sure, let's assume that. All right, cool. I'd be happier about it. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, they completely, uh, they level Narnia, effectively. Uh, There's nothing. The waters rise. Yeah, nothing left living at all yeah it's almost like global warming happens in a really quick <laughs> condensed time period waters rise the trees all die yep all the say. animals leave 
Yeah, let's not get into that. It's going to be, this is not a depressing podcast, usually. Yeah. <laughs> Except As we read the end of Narnia. As we read the end of Narnia. But we have two more chapters, so, you know, other stuff happens. Yep. Uh, and yeah, the waters come up and completely cover the world. And I find uh, that to be really interesting because, like, the sea comes up and it becomes just a completely flat plain of, of ocean. And that is uh, very reminiscent of like the original account of creation and Genesis Mm -hmm. is that, you know, God is hovering over the waters. Yeah. Like there's this endless expanse of still water that is there before the creation of the world. And we're seeing that at the end of the world here. Yeah. So it's almost implying a kind of a cyclical nature type thing. Yeah. Like the waters. Though when we come to Narnia, the creation of Narnia, there isn't, there isn't a great waters. There isn't even in the first, book the sea is only mentioned at the very end when they're coronated at Caraparavel. Yeah. So like the and in the and in the magician's nephew there's no mention really of the sea. Uh-huh. Um being an element of the creation story. Yeah. Uh I think we I mean we I think we we don't need to spend a lot of time on this but we talked a little bit about this in Magician's Nephew where they come in and they just see this barren expanse of rock that Aslan speaks life into. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting callback for Lewis because in a lot of Christian theology, we see this doctrine of vex nihilo, like creation from nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not really a thing that shows up in Christian theology until pretty late in the game. Like, that's a thing that the church brings in. I don't know exactly when, but I believe it's after the... Uh, creation of the modern bible as we know it and in a a lot of early christian and a lot of jewish theology there was the idea that like there is this primordial substance yeah like there is just this stuff there and god shapes the world out of it yeah and i think that's an interesting kind of reference for lewis to make yeah uh and bringing it back full circle but anyway um then the ocean gets, uh, covers the land, uh, and then a dawn starts happening. The last dawn of Narnia. Yep. Uh, sun starts rising, and they notice the sun is uh, not looking too healthy. Well, and the sun and the moon come together in this really interesting like eclipse imagery. Uh-huh. And it specifically, sa- specifically says, Lord Diggory and Lady Polly looked at one another and gave a little nod. Those two in a different world had once seen a dying sun, so they knew at once that this sun was also dying. Yeah. So this was... Charn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more theories that, uh, you know, time is a flat circle and Narnia is actually Charn. Yeah. And also, <laughs> this is the second time that Diggory and Polly have watched a world die, basically. Maybe it's Diggory and Polly. Maybe they are just like... They're the, the harbingers, harbingers, <laughs> harbingers of apocalypse. death. Like, gosh, wherever you live, if Diggory and Polly show up, like woe is you like bad times ahead (laughs) um anyway so sun rises it's very dark red rays fall upon the giant and the moon comes up uh the moon and the sun basically you know coalesce coalesce into one big orb uh and then aslan is like he says now make an end yep uh and i'm pretty sure that is the only thing is that the only thing? No, that's not no, the only line Aslan further says up in this and chapter. further in and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, that is the first thing Aslan says in this chapter, though. Yeah. Is, now make an end. 
giant throws his horn out, reaches up, grabs the sun, squeezes the thing like a big orange. Yeah. Uh, you know, sun juice. Is that what Sunny D is made from? Is that why it's so expensive these days? Is you have to have a giant, <laughs> like, crush a star. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's gets, why. Like, that's why it's so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a weird reference. <laughs> Nobody's talking about the price of Sunny D these days. Gas uh-huh. prices all day and all night. But <laughs> when I'm paying seven bucks a gallon for my Sunny D. Yeah. That's, that's my real that's problem. That's when you'll start being upset. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Noted. Anyway. Uh, oh, man. We're getting silly toward the end of this book, aren't we? <laughs> um, Cool. Uh, so the sun goes out, gets squished. There's nothing left, uh, I guess, of basically the entire Narnian universe. I think we're implying that the Narnian universe is is considerably smaller than our own, uh, because like we have all the stars just come down and fall, and they're all in Narnia now. Yeah. And like they, they just show up. Sun disappears. Basically, there's nothing left, or at least yeah. nothing left of note. Yeah. Anywhere. My question is, like, what happens to Father Time and all of those dragons and things? Like, Well, we, we answered the dragons. Like, we see that. Um, that we kind of skipped over, however. Uh, the monsters themselves grew old and lay down and died. Their flesh shriveled up and the bones appeared. Soon they were only huge skeletons that lay here and there on the dead rock, looking as if they had died thousands of years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that we kind of skipped over where it's implying like this whole process maybe takes a really long time. Yeah. And they're just seeing it like play out in super, super fast forward where this is hundreds of years of like the world dying. Yeah. Uh, and then all the beasts die. We never really find out what happens to the giant though. He throws his horn away and crushes his son and then he's just kind of gone. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, then it falls on Peter. To close and lock the door. To close and lock the door. And that's his... Uh... Yeah, I wrote a note. Why does Peter have the key? Yeah. It's like, that's a pretty big responsibility. Being like, yeah. it is it is on Peter's shoulders to basically close, literally close the book on Narnia. Yeah. Be like, hey, look, it's over. We don't need to worry about the bearing nothingness of Narnia out there anymore. Cool. It's, it's getting locked. That's, literally. That's going to hang out there until Aslan's next project. Yeah. Hashtag Charnia theory. Uh, <laughs> what's the name of the new world? Let's see what's it going to put there next. Because like Narnia kind of sounded like Charn. So is it going to be like another Arn sound or like a... Don't know. Something like that. Listeners, if you'd like to write in with what you think the name of the new planet's going to be. Um, <laughs> I don't think we find that out in the next two chapters, but... Yeah. Anyway. Um, so Peter locks the door. Uh, it, you know, or... He tries to. Takes him a couple tries. Yeah, he has to he, pull the door closed. It's and his frozen. hand is frozen. Yeah. Uh, pulls out a golden key from literally nowhere. Like, what? where did this key come from? Why well, does Peter why did it? he show up with a sword? Okay, so yeah. he was he showed up in his full armor and regalia and everything. So within that, Aslan provided him with the sword to intimidate Tash and all of these things that he would need, including this key. Uh-huh. How did he know he had it? That's its own question, but... You know, his pocket just suddenly felt heavier, and he's just like, I bet there's a key in there. Yep. Um, anyway, so they saw some strange things to the doorway, and then they looked around and saw something stranger still, where they were no longer in a dead world. They were in this, you know, paradise with, like, 
fruit trees all around and a blue sky and Aslan's smiling because like he's real happy after seeing that you know eons of destruction play out before him yeah which is kind of weird when um, when the animals looked him in the face is that when Runewit thundered off with further in and higher up or did he do that because Aslan also says something like that later on but Runewit I thought said before before all of that happened like he didn't stick around to watch the end of Narnia he just booked it um yeah okay uh Runewit just says like nope I'm not gonna watch this crap takes off uh yeah so they pull him in they're all surrounding Aslan and uh in you know what we can assume is Aslan's country, where they're all at. Yeah. Uh, Peter's apparently really flabbergasted that Lucy's crying. <laughs> Why are you crying? <laughs> but Tyrion's like, uh, yeah, no, this this is yeah. the only home I've ever known. Yeah. It cry? would it wouldn't be right to let it pass without grieving and mourning it. Yeah. Peter's just like, who cries watching an apocalypse? Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, you, you pansy. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man. Oh, man. Uh, and Lucy's just like, don't try to stop me. Like, and Tyrion agrees with her. It's just like, yes, we need to mourn for Narnia. Because, like, yeah. It's like, yeah. that was that was really rough what we just saw. Yeah. Like, everything that Tyrion's ever known or heard about is now dead. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised he's not crying, too. Oh, yeah. Well, he does. He yeah. does. He does say, see, I do so myself. Yeah. Uh, and then they walk in. Further up and further into Narnia. Uh, the dogs join them, uh, and apparently dogs in Narnia, much like our world, think whatever they're doing is, like, the most important thing ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they pick up a set. Yep. And who do they encounter? A Calormine. Yep. Emmeth, the young man who had gone through the door and stabbed the old man and threw him back out there. Yep. Who had challenged and said, I want to see Tash. Yep. So, uh... He who uh, was of great faith, I guess, or yeah. something, didn't believe in Tash, like... Did believe in Tash, wanted to see Tash. Yeah, uh, but as somebody who did not, I mean, we can't really even imply that he knew of Aslan, like, probably didn't believe in Aslan. Well, because is... he didn't believe all this Tashland stuff. Yeah, but so why is he here? That's an excellent question. The entire next chapter is going to discuss. Is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We'll like, learn a whole lot more about it. They sit down to have a conversation, which is what the next chapter starts with. Yes. Uh, they find this random Calarmine. We don't know why he's here because he never, I like... I mean, he's not super random. He's Emmeth. We we, oh, he's... we had the we had the four discuss him coming in and not being able to see them. Yeah. It'd be really lame if he was, like, the one Calarmine in, like, the entirety of the afterlife. It's just like, yep, I'm it. Well, cool. I mean, we already <laughs> said all of the Calormines came and looked Aslan in the face with all the other creatures. Yeah. And we didn't resolve that any of them did or didn't join. Maybe some come through. Yeah. Anyway, so they find the Calormine. Uh, Calormine, I never know what the singular form is. Yeah. It's Calormine, I think. They find Emmeth. He's yeah. got a name. Just use his name. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep forgetting his name. Emmeth. So, so f- the, none of the dogs get names. Yeah. And they were a much bigger part of the story. So they find Emmeth. Uh, sitting underneath this tree. Also, Peter calls the dogs cousins while his literal blood cousin is standing right there. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of rough, isn't it? Uh, Peter's still kind of a jerk. Uh, I don't think he's, he's doing uh, that on purpose. <laughs> I think he's doing it to honor the, the dogs and not to 
Yeah. Uh, and Peter goes and makes peace with him and is just like, so yeah, don't really see the need to make war between us, you know, considering that we're all dead. Yeah. Kind of, kind of pointless here in Aslan's country. Uh, and then they sit down and listen to this story that apparently he has. Yep. Except Jewel, who remains standing. And polishing his <laughs> horn. Yep. Oh yeah. Don't forget to wipe your horn. Uh, cool. So that's a chapter. Uh, like not really a lot to dive into because, like as we said, it's just a description of events that play out, yeah. and none of the characters really do anything other than stand there and watch it happen. Yeah. So. Here's the end of the world. Yeah. It's the end <laughs> of the world as we know it. Yep. Uh, cool. Anything else you want to throw in there? Or are we are we pretty good? Um, I wanted to ask about Bism. Uh, are they just not talking Bism? Yeah, no, we've got all my notes covered. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we don't find out anything about Bism in the next two chapters either. I'm just going to assume that. Well, but if we do have, like, an Earthman show up at some point, just yeah. in passing, I'll be a little more satisfied. Yeah. Where are the living like, gems? What happened but to them? The salamanders part of the destruction of the world is what I want to know. Did the salamanders crawl up from the core? Maybe. Of the of the flat world. Don't know. The disc world. Who the heck knows? Maybe the other side's fine. Maybe like yeah. the flip side of Narnia is just like right as rain. <laughs> and like they're just like, What's what's all that rumbling coming from the other side? <sighs> Don't go over there. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it suddenly dark? <laughs> yeah. Um All right. Uh, Should we move on to our next segment? Sure. What do we do in our next segment, Kristen? Um, so our next segment is our rewrites. Cool. Um, which, if we're going to go into that, uh, the rewrites, we do the same thing we did with the summaries. We choose five sentences out of the chapter, uh, but this time we try to tell a new story with the sentences from the chapter. Exciting. So um, you did your summary first. I'll go ahead and do my rewrite first. Again, at least in my experience, very hard chapter to rewrite. Yes. <laughs> this was a, this yes. was a challenge. Very challenging. So I'm curious as to what you came up with. Yeah, well, let me read it for you. Okay. Because it's not much different from the chapter (laughs) summary. The spreading blackness was not a cloud at all. It was simply emptiness. They all looked straight in his face. I don't think they had any choice about that. You're not crying. I saw it begin, said the Lord Diggory. Shut the door. Ooh, all right, all right. I like that. Like what you did with Diggory there. Yep. Uh huh. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> nice little creepy story. Yep. Um, mine is just dumb. I, <laughs> I just did a silly thing because I was like, this is really hard to come up with a new story in. Yeah. Uh, so here's mine. Then everyone turned his attention again to what could be seen through the doorway. They had seen strange things enough through that doorway. And all of these ran up to the doorway where Aslan stood. Come further in. Peter, shivering with cold, leaned out into the darkness and pulled the door to. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I just wanted to use all the sentences with the word doorway in them. Um... (laughs) So, yeah, I, I didn't try really hard with that one. Okay. I promise the next two will be better. Got to end on a high note. Yeah. Cool. All right. That being said, shall we move on to our last segment? Let's do it.
It's the final oh. conflict. <laughs> yep. Uh, we still haven't gotten sued by the band Europe yet. So anyway, <laughs> um, in this one, uh, I thought it would be fun for, uh, you know, the last battle to have a last battle uh, with various characters from the Narnia franchise that we've been pitting against each other in one-on-one combat. Uh, and a little bracket style system to see who comes out on top. And we're almost done with this whole thing. We've got a couple of uh, semifinal matches left, and we have a final to determine the ultimate uh, victor of Narnia. Alrighty. Uh, this week, I believe it is. This week is Lucy v. Edmund. Oof. All right. And our area, our arena, is number two. Number two. This is the Forest of Narnia. All right. Man, I think Lucy already has a strong advantage here. Do you? Uh, she knows something about those trees. And Edmund's lived there for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, so we have the battle. I think we have evidence throughout the books to suggest that Lucy is better with adapting to Narnia again for the first time. Or, I like, do. coming back to Narnia. Yeah. But as they just live in Narnia... I think they're pretty equally matched because throughout all of the times we've seen them as adults in Narnia, they're riding together to war. Like, they are. Lucy's not excluded. However, Lucy is much more skilled with a ranged weapon than Edmund is. Yes. We see Lucy with the bow constantly uh-huh. leading the archers, things well, before, like that. Before you get too far into it, I just I, I had a silly thing I had to share. Okay. Um, well, it kind of got ruined now. I was just going to have a big fanfare for this being like, it's the Royal Rumble. It's okay. the sibling showdown. But whatever. You just went right into it. So I'm it's sorry. Fine. Um, anyway. You could have added that in the beginning of this it's segment. Yeah. Uh, what? It's the Pevensey... Punch-up. Punch-out. Punch-out. <laughs> it's the Pevensey punch-out. Um, yeah, this is a hard one because, uh, I mean, they're both of... Similar status. They're both royals in Narnia. They're both uh, very close in age, size, etc., etc. Combat prowess, as we've seen them in all the same battles. Uh, so I think it's a very even matchup. Um, if we go with magical items that they have, obviously we have to bring up the fact that Lucy has the the, the cordial again. Yeah. Uh, so she's got that healing uh, on her side for sure. Uh, she's got some sort of dagger. I don't know. She's better with a longbow, as you said. Edmund, uh, of course, has a flashlight. Uh, yep. <laughs> always has his trusty flashlight trusty on torch. him. Uh, what is Edmund's magic thing that he gets? He didn't. Oh, he didn't. That's right. Ed- Edmund never got a magic thing. Huh. So that's definitely a disadvantage for him. Yep. Uh, we're also in the forest, uh, and we know Lucy has a special relationship with the dryads and tree spirits. Yeah. And she's able to see them and... I don't know if she'd be able to call on them for aid, uh, but definitely is, uh, I feel like, is more familiar with the woods of Narnia than Edmund is. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Lucy's the Holy Spirit, but yeah, uh, I think in her last fight that we had her in, that didn't really come into play, and we decided to ignore that fact. Well, I uh, mean, it was Lucy versus Shasta in the previous fight. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, all Lucy has to do is bring out a plate of Turkish Delights. Yep. And Edmund is just, like, distracted, and he's done. 100%. Um, <laughs> as we know. Edmund, I've got some sweets for you. Major weakness here. Uh, and so, really, like, between, like, the filter of healing and, like, the familiarity with the woods and whatnot, I'm I'm struggling to find a reason Edmund would take this. I agree. Do you, do you have anything to say in his defense? No, because I don't <laughs> think that he should win. <laughs> 
and uh, you know he's been the one who's been the wrong one uh, of these two. I don't know if that's either neither here nor there, but she has moral superiority as well. Oh yeah, uh, because you know he's she's never betrayed the family and whatnot. <laughs> well, that's a, that's that's hardly a part of the fight. <laughs> uh, Yes, but she has, like, upstanding morals on her side. And I don't know. How does that help her win a fight? <laughs> I, in, I certain, mean, in certain contexts, that's a hindrance yeah, in a fight. Edmund does have a redemption a redemption arc, but... Uh, yeah, I think I, I wanted this to be a bigger deal, but I really can't think of a reason why Edmund would take this one. Like, I think it has to be Lucy all the way. 100%. All right, so Lucy moves on. Um, what's our next fight? Our la- I think our next one is our last semifinal fight. Correct. Who we got? So Lucy is our first finalist. Wow. And she will be fighting the winner of the Corin v. Puddleglum. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a rough one. Yep. Man, I'm not gonna say the last battle is gonna be uh, Lucy versus Puddleglum, but. But we gotta have what? something to talk about in our next episode, so we'll move on. <laughs> All right, cool. Would you like to take us out, Kristen? Sure. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed chapter fourteen. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed chapter fourteen of the last battle. Join us next week as we discuss Chapter 15, Further Up and Further In. In the meantime, if you want to interact with us on social media, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, and you can email us your fan art of uh, Lucy and the Trees at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. All the, all the intense imagery here, and you chose Lucy and the Trees as our fan art request. Wow. Well, I'm not going to ask for people to send me fan art of the, like, a the father giant crushing the sun. Because <laughs> that's just sad. Uh, so until next time, um, always call on a giant to crush the sun for you. And I guess I'll just, I'll chime in with, haven't you people ever heard of closing the Aslan door? <laughs> Bye. Here's the end of the world. Yeah. It's the end of the world as we know it. Yep. Nobody's talking about the price of Sunny D these days. Gas uh-huh. prices all day and all night. But... <laughs> If you want a stinger, go, go put your fist in. Go punch a bee. Yeah, yeah, I know. Go punch a bee. <laughs> go punch a bee. Yeah, that's exactly it. I don't think the peas would like that very much. <laughs> yeah, no, they wouldn't. Examples of like these mythical figures with like Bacchus and Father Time, or not Bacchus and Father Time. What do we do in our next segment, Kristen? Our next segment is the final countdown, right? Oh, the rewrites. <laughs> How long have we been doing this? <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty intense. I mean, there's a lot of people that would say that's a fate worth a face. A fate worse than death is, you know, 
Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss... Chain restaurants. Not wait. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia. It's a podcast, and we're gonna do some talking about a little book called The Last Battle. <laughs> 